Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 610. Well, if you were in France, you'd call it Le Papillon. In Spain, it's known as La Mariposa. In Germany, they call it Die Schmetterling. Here in the U.S. and in other English-speaking countries, it's... Yes, butterfly. Why is masculine in France and feminine in those other places? We're not sure, but we are pretty sure that we'll get some idea about how monarch butterflies and other butterfly species are doing in their fight for survival when we welcome the North American Butterfly Association's Marcus Gray a little later here on this morning's show. Here's what we're saying around here in response to the fabulous photos we're receiving in our 2017 Talking Birds photo contest. That's right. Wow. If you're listening live to our show, you know it's the 5th of February, an important date because it's deadline day for entering the 2017 Talking Birds photo contest. Deadline for entry midnight tonight, February 5. Our first prize winner will receive a Celestron Hummingbird ED micro spotting scope. First runner-up prize is a pair of Celestron 8x32 Trail Seeker binoculars. And our second runner-up prize is our marvelous, beautiful, and practical Talking Birds book sampler. Simple to enter, just take a photo of a bird in the wild and email it to us at this address, ray at talkinbirds.com. No G in talking. Photos will be judged on quality of composition, creativity, and originality. The address again, ray at talkinbirds.com. Hope you're listening live. The deadline is February 5 at midnight Eastern Time. We'll announce the winners on next week's show. Extra, extra, read all about it. Some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. Beautiful birds of the Tillamook Coast and why Oregon's Nestucca National Wildlife Refuge sounds like a really good place to visit, even though we're not sure if we're pronouncing it correctly. In Australia, the birthplace. Is it the birthplace of birds' nests? Researchers at Macquarie University in Sydney think it just might be. And how removing invasive plants is good for birds and bees and butterflies. That's some of what we have for you on our Facebook page right now. And by the way, thank you, Talking Birds listeners, for helping our page reach a new milestone. It has now blown right past the 12,000 likes mark. Meanwhile, from her post up on the prairies of Alberta, Canada, our Charlotte Wasilek is about to check in with some more exciting info for young birders right here in the U.S., along with some important thoughts about why our national parks need our help and how we can provide it. It's today's installment of Charlotte's weblog, made possible by L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning. 
morning, Ray. The Cornell Lab of Ornithology's Young Birder event is now accepting applications. The event runs July 6th to the 9th in Ithaca, New York, and 16 young birders will be selected to participate. There will be two days of field trips, presentations, an e-bird workshop, and much more. It's also a great opportunity to meet other young birders. The application deadline is March 15th, and you can find more information at ebird.org. This past week, while filling my bird feeders, I saw two pileated woodpeckers flying overhead. They were headed to the woods in our pasture, so I'm hoping to get out with my camera and see if I can locate them again. Last year, to help celebrate the U.S. National Park Service's centennial, I highlighted different parks every month. Unfortunately, as the NPS starts its second century, it and other U.S. government agencies have been gagged this week to stop the spread of science information, especially climate change, which as you know adversely affects the birds we all love. You can help by donating to and volunteering for your favorite park and telling your elected representatives to support the National Park Service. You can learn more on Twitter at ALTUS Nat Park Service. That's all for this week, Ray. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Charlotte. We'll look for you online on your blog there at prairiebirder.com. Prairiebirder.com. Little update here on our Talking Birds Ambassadors program. We thought we'd be talking about this number. When I'm 64. Yes, we were trying to get 64 ambassadors lined up this week. And uh, thanks to Jim in Leesburg, Virginia, we did exactly that. Thank you so much, Jim. And then we had our good friends, Tice Suplee at Arizona Audubon in Phoenix. And Ken Lavish at the Patuxent National Wildlife Refuge in Maryland joining our ambassadors program, bringing us up to 66. And so then the question became... And there was Carolyn in York, Pennsylvania, became our 67th ambassador. We were hoping then for another Talking Birds listener to become number 68. And thank you to William in Croton on Hudson, New York who came through and became our 68th Talking Birds ambassador. Many thanks, William. 27 states are now represented in our ambassadors program. A quick visit to our Facebook page will provide a complete list of current ambassador states. So Talking Birds listeners kindly do check to see if your state is listed there and consider representing it if it isn't. Of course, whether your state is listed there or not, we hope you'll join our ambassadors program hand out some of our info cards to your friends and associates to spread the word about our show and about birds and bird conservation and conservation in general it's easy to do easy to sign up for too just click on the contact button at talkingbirds.com choose the become an ambassador option that's the become an ambassador option via the contact button at talkingbirds.com no uh, g in talking Here's a little preview of our mystery bird contest coming up later in the show, so you'll be ready to call in. Here's the sound of the bird. And here's one clue. Our mystery bird has long legs and a short tail with spots on the back and bars on the front, usually seen on the ground in open country, mostly in the southwest and Florida on a year-round basis and throughout much of the west in the summer. A little preview of our mystery bird contest. Still to come on our show today, in addition to learning how butterflies are beneficial to people and birds, we'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment. The subject is suet. 
Mike has some things to say about it, as does a Talking Birds listener. And up next, an effervescent pipsqueak of a finch is today's featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is made possible in part by Celestron, a leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says we care about birds and nature in our backyard as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit Celestron.com and discover more. Our friend Sue McGrath from Newburyport Birders once wrote that when she sees common red poles here in the lower 48, she thinks of the low Arctic tundra, a land of short dwarfed shrubs, including willow, alder, and birch, which support these beautiful tiny birds in nesting season. These abundant breeders share this far northern habitat with foraging willow ptarmigans and patrolling parasitic Jaegers. Red poles appear rotund and fluffy, with a small yellow bill, a black throat and chin, and a red forecrown. The dark brown of the wings and tail, along with the brown streaking of the nape, back, breast, and flanks, are offset by a whitish belly. The sexes are discernible. The male has pink on the chest, with very little streaking, while the female lacks that rosy hue and is heavily streaked. Author Pete Dunn describes the common red pole as an effervescent pipsqueak of a finch with a small red beret and a black goatee. Like other finches, common red poles often feed upside down, hanging from small branches, using their feet to hold small food items like seeds. W.E. Davis Jr.'s account talks about the pocket in the bird's esophagus that provides them with a kind of in-flight cupboard for storing seeds. Red poles have also been observed feeding each other by passing seeds from conical bill to conical bill. This specialized winter feeding behavior, along with that seed stockroom, enables the red poles to survive very low temperatures. Thermal regulation is also key to their survival in the cold. Like other birds, they fluff up their feathers to maximize heat retention and sometimes sleep in snow tunnels to insulate themselves against the cold air. And they sound like this. Talking Birds featured feathered friend, Acanthus Flamea, the common red pole. Thanks again for being with us. Our show number 610, our website, TalkingBirds.com, and you can follow us, hope you will, on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. Talking Birds is sponsored in part by Chimani, providing free outdoor mobile app travel guides to plan and navigate your journey to more than 400 national parks, monuments, and historic sites. From Acadia to Zion, go to Chimani.com, that's C-H-I-M-A-N-I.com, to download your free app today. Marcus Gray is the executive director of the North American Butterfly Association, headquartered in Morristown, New Jersey, and they are doing some work there to help save the monarch butterfly. We've all heard about the the plight of the monarch butterfly that applies to other butterflies as well. And he's on the phone to tell us about that and 
all things butterfly this morning. Good morning, Marcus. Morning, Ray. It's great to have you with us. Uh, mon- uh, I was going to call you Monarch, but I'll call you Marcus instead. Because uh, mon- <laughs> Monarch is the butterfly. I think most people have heard about the the plight of the monarch butterfly. We hear things from time to time that they are beginning to make a recovery, but what is the status? Yes, sir, and thanks, thanks for having me on. Sure. Today. So basically, um, there are a lot of organizations working together uh, as part of the monarch joint venture. The North American Butterfly Association, or NABA, who I represent, is on the steering committee of that organization. Um, and about 50 different organizations at this time are now working together, working to figure out what the current threats are to the population, we're starting to have a pretty good idea um, in terms of um, impacts from from pesticides, loss of, of acreage of, of native habitat, and then effects of disease on fitness for migrating individuals and then for individuals coming back out of the overwintering grounds and then the overwintering grounds themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the continental population that migrates goes to a small area of central Mexico where there are immense threats from from logging and um, expanding agriculture. So we're, we're trying to address those things, but early on, you know, you may have heard everybody say plant milkweed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's still a, a thing that you can do to improve habitat for monarchs. Um, but we're seeing now that, that nectar sources, so other, other flowering plants along the way, that bloom at the time when the monarchs are coming through are important for the energy that they need to make that movement. So similar to birds, it, it, we're finding out that, that monarchs are actually needing stopover sites as they migrate to refuel and to rest, to, to weather uh, storms and things, things mm-hmm. of that nature. What's your prediction, survival for the monarch? Well, worldwide, you know, globally, um, you know, there's monarchs in New Zealand now, but, you know, what we're trying to preserve is that phenomenon of these, you know, up to a billion at one time migrating. I mean, we have populations that overwinter in southern Florida, parts mm. of Arizona, and southern California. Mm. But we want to maintain this this migration from the majority of the continent east of the Rockies, you know, down to central Mexico. So if we don't address the large-scale habitat loss, um, impact from these you know these pesticides and then don't do anything in mexico to work with the the locals there to increase livelihoods i mean this is this is very similar problem to a lot of the developing world Mm -hmm. if the folks don't have reliable sources of income and don't see the species as valuable then they don't have an incentive to protect it and so we need to help these people make a living Mm -hmm. in in mexico in the areas of these reserves um and, and so you know prediction it's a hard thing to say, but you know, we try to be optimistic. But if we don't address those things, and then you throw climate change in there as well, it's really anybody's guess mm-hmm. right now. We really need a lot of support to be able to get the research conducted um, and and align the resources to to actually make great strides on the ground. You talked about things that people can do, like planting milkweed, for example. But uh, as we're around here trying to get rid of gypsy moths, we're spraying for them, and we're killing the butterflies. And, and other moths and so on. And you talked, uh, when we were off the air, you talked about, you know, a way to be able to deal with some of these pests without affecting butterflies, for example. Yes, sir. And and these these types of technologies have been, you know, the technology is there, and some of these um, methods are being 
conducted and, and developed for vertebrate pests, you know, like rats and mice. But um, we have the ability now, and we just need to get decision makers on board with this, you know, funding the development of these things. That we can we can actually create species specific or targeted pesticides that'll that'll only control the species that we're trying to reduce. So, in the case of gypsy moths, you know, there's the pheromone traps and, and sterile males and everything that you you may have heard of um, to try to swamp the the population with with matings that won't lead to anything. Um, won't be successful. Um, and so these large-scale sprayings for gypsy moths, mosquitoes, I mean, we care a lot at NABA about human health and safety, obviously. I mean, our slogan is if we can save butterflies, we can save ourselves. And that's what this, this strikes right to the core of that. If we don't provide adequate space for the wildlife of the planet, you know, we lose all those ecological services, um, and human beings are going to be a lot worse off. And, and some of these chemicals that they're spraying are worse than the diseases that they're trying to control. In, especially in the long term. Mm-hmm. And so if we can develop a way to control mosquitoes that only t- only kills those mosquitoes, you know, then that's, that's preferable. I mean, yes, mosquitoes play an important role in the ecosystem, but if we're going to kill them anyway, we need to make sure that we're not killing a bunch of non-target species as well. And so this may be, you know, some sort of genetic modification. It may be um, a compound that impacts, you know, works with the genetics of the species. So you're not actually making any changes in the species itself, but using information that you learn about that species through understanding its genetics to control it. Um, so I don't know if you want any more detail on that on the mammal side, but that, that, that's what we're trying to think of, ways that we can make these control programs more effective so they're not impacting everything else. We'd love to get more details. I wish I, I wish we had more time. We know that m- butterflies are beneficial to birds, certainly uh, with yes. uh, with the cat as in the caterpillar uh, form. Uh, exactly. Uh, uh, certainly a big deal there. Uh, I, I have a million more questions for you, Marcus. I wish we did have more time, and maybe we'll we'll try to get together again. Talk about the National Butterfly Center, which is pretty exciting down there in Texas. Mm-hmm. But for now, uh, give us your website, uh, Marcus, so people can find out sure. more about this. Sure. Our website is NABA, N-A-B-A dot org. N-A-B-A, NABA dot org. Yes, sir. Marcus Gray, Executive Director of the North American Butterfly Association. Marcus, thank you so much and keep up the good work. Thank you, Ray. Really appreciate it. Coming up next here, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. Here's an idea for the next time you're shopping for wild bird food. Look for the Audubon Park brand, a top choice among bird lovers for more than 40 years. All of Audubon Park's products meet the highest quality standards in the industry and have earned early compliance with the FDA's Food Safety Modernization Act. And Audubon Park products are easy to find at your supermarket, lawn and garden store, farm and feed market, and online retailers. For more information, visit AudubonPark.com. Hi, it's Ray with your invitation to join us in the Galapagos Islands with Sunrise Birding. I'll be your host, joined by expert local guides who'll show us giant Galapagos tortoises and marine iguanas and incredible birds, including Darwin's famous finches. We'll even snorkel with Galapagos penguins. And there are now just two cabins still available. Get all the details right now at sunrisebirding.com. That's sunrisebirding.com. Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds like the one you just heard singing. Where did that guy come from? 
I don't know, but birds are always welcome here. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. You're eligible to win our, our contest here, a mystery bird, if you haven't won uh, within, um, let's say, uh, what is it, six months, exactly. And uh, don't forget, you can hear our show live online, so you can be involved with the mystery bird contest and other stuff. Just go to TalkingBirds.com to find out how to do that. Meanwhile, our prize, the beautiful Droll Yankees Observer Window Feeder in Smoke. Features an attractive smoky tint while providing unobstructed and up-close views of birds as they feed. Backed by the Droll Yankees Limited or Lifetime Warranty Against Squirrel Damage. Nothing limited about that and proudly made in the USA. Here's our number, 781-837-4900. Please call us as soon as you can to tell us what the bird is or take your guess. 781-837-4900. Here's the bird. (coughs) Sounds like the the Pillsbury Doughboy. (coughs) Um, Our mystery bird has long legs and a short tail with spots on the back and bars on the front, usually seen on the ground in open country, mostly in the southwest and Florida, year-round throughout much of the west in the summer. Our bird nests in a hole in the ground, which it sometimes creates by doing its own digging, but often obtains a hole uh, dug by a prairie dog or a skunk or a tortoise or an armadillo. It feeds on insects, small mammals, birds, amphibians, reptiles, and scorpions. Yeah, that's our mystery bird, 781-837-4900. What is it? Tell us or take your guess, 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we'll check in with Mike O'Connor down at the legendary Bird Watchers General Store, Cape Cod, in just one minute. More than 100 million wild animals are killed each year, illegally. Poaching is just one of the risks animals face at our hands. I'm Tom Barry. I'm an actor. I grew up in the beautiful rural countryside of Ohio, where animals roamed freely in the open forests. I have a deep concern to help preserve those open spaces for our wildlife friends so they can live and thrive like they used to. Destruction of their habitats threaten their very existence. The best way to protect wildlife is to protect the land where they live. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust works with private landowners to protect wildlife, to preserve natural habitats, and establish permanent sanctuaries. To learn more or to work with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, call 800-729-SAVE. That's 800-729-SAVE. Or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. Our man Mike O'Connor down at the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, has many titles of honor, including Sultan of Suet. And that's our <laughs> our topic for this morning. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, speaking of titles, that last that your last guest there, Marcus, he called you Sir. Am I supposed to be doing that too? Yeah, well we're gonna chop that out on the in the post production. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Yeah. No, you don't have to you don't have to call me Sir. But thank you for asking. Yeah, I did. Well, I you know I wanted to keep your status. So we have a uh, we had a note here from uh, one of your customers here, uh, Mike. This is Ed down in Harwich, Massachusetts, not far from from Orleans, talking about suet, and he he had a suggestion about putting out two or three more, uh, two or three or more suet feeders because you know the flickers and red bellies and other woodpeckers can sometimes keep 
other birds from the feeders. So I think this probably is in line with what you've suggested at, at other times about putting more feeders out so that uh, birds can feed unmolested kind of thing, right? Unmolested, yes. yeah. 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 No, no bird molesting. <laughs> well, you're, you're absolutely right, especially, you know, I, I mean, I know this guy, he buys a lot of suet, buys it by the case, and it really depends where you live. I mean, he says he gets all these kind of woodpeckers. He talks about them a lot. Um, but it depends where you live. I happen to live in a, an area with kind of skinny cedar trees. I get very few. So a little bit habitat-specific. But if you live in an area with woodpeckers, and, and sometimes other birds will come for suet, like a Carolina wren or a brown creeper or maybe a pine warbler or a yellow rump warbler, it's good to have a couple of locations because when a flicker lands on a feeder, not many other birds are going to go there. So a suet feeder, having two, like Ed suggests, is not a bad idea. Um, the other thing I, I, I've been kind of talking up lately, even, even though I used to think they were silly, um, woodpeckers, when they land on a tree and they try to drum out insects, they, they push their tail like a kickstand against the, the side of the yeah. tree, and it uses so they can use their beak as force. It kind of props them up. And so they, a few years ago, they came out with these suet features with what they call tail props, which is a piece of wood hanging down maybe hmm. five or six inches below the actual suet cage. And I thought that was, well, that's silly, because a woodpecker can just hang on about any, hmm. any place they want. But I've seen a lot of people bringing me photographs, and it seems like the birds really appreciate these extra pieces, these tail props huh. on the feeder. So if you put your suet against the side of a tree, they don't really need that, but if you're going to hang it off a hook, off a, like a pole or off a branch, then yeah, that might be a good idea, actually. Alright, I, I like it. And by the way, he says here, living on the Cape, I buy my seed and feeders at the Birdwatcher's General Store. They sell the C&S suet cakes for 99 cents. Oh, how about that? For, wow, 99 cents. Such a deal. Oh, wow. <laughs> I might have to raise it up. That's, a, that's not very much. They're getting popular. The price is going up. Get them quick. Thanks, Mike. I'll talk to you next week, sir. <laughs> right. Back at the Mystery Bird Contest. This is our Mystery Bird. 781-837-4900 is the number. The Droll Yankees Observer Window Feeder. Featuring an attractive smoky tint is our prize, 781-837-4900. What is our mystery bird? Let's see if Roz in Beaver Creek, Oregon. Is it right? (laughs) No, Uh, it's in Ohio. I'm sorry. Oh, I could only see the O, and I don't know why I thought it was Oregon, because it sounds like a place that would be in Oregon. Well, there's one in Oregon, too. Oh. (laughs) Okay, well, no wonder I got mixed up. Not that I knew about the one in Oregon, but... Anyway, Beaver Creek, Ohio is uh, where, Roz? It's just outside of Dayton. It's in the southwest Ohio. Southwest corner of Ohio, or southwest Mm -hmm. Ohio. And, um, well, we'll see if we can uh, can identify our mystery bird. And if you do, we'll find out if you uh, ever have seen one of these in Ohio, which I kind of doubt. What do you say? Yeah, I doubt it, too. (laughs) I think it's a burrowing owl. I think probably uh, Tim is uh, agreeing with that, aren't you? Tim is applauding in there. Um... A burrowing owl, yeah. I don't know is if that any... Right? Uh, that is right. Oh, I, for, my gosh. I forgot Yay. to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. It is right. A burrowing owl, yeah. We can certainly... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I've been down to Marco Island, Florida a few times in the past few years, and they're loaded with burrowing owls over, around there. And, well, you know what? Um, yeah. I actually live part of the year in Bradenton, Ohio, and I have seen them out at the Sarasota Airport. Bradenton, Florida, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, now you're getting your states mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. So you see them out at the airport? 
Yeah, at Sarasota Airport, they dig uh, between the runways. Wow, yeah. Yeah. I, and now to Marco Island, probably other places too, they've actually, uh, they're actually sort of, um, you know, taping off uh, little areas, little fields within the town yeah. uh, where they can where they can nest. So you can kind of walk right up to them pretty much. Really? Right oh, wow, to, that's in great. Mi- in the middle of town. Yeah, how'd you find our show, Roz, by the way? Oh, the radio. I listen to you and um, on NPR here oh. at WYSO. Oh, on our little NPR things that we do from time to time. Well, thank you for mm-hmm. that. Roz, thank you for calling in. And uh, if you'll stay on the line, we'll get your address and we will send you that Droll Yankees feeder. Thank you, Ray. Okay, thanks. Roz out there in Beaver Creek, Ohio, uh, identifying the burrowing owl, often seen during the day, but also active after dark. It's kind of interesting, feeding mostly on insects by day and on little mammals at night. I believe we're out of time for our show. Good luck, Patriots and Falcons in Super Bowl 51 tonight. We're from New England, so we're rooting for the Pats, of course. But we like the Atlanta Falcons, too. After all, they are named after a bird, and they're quarterbacked by a man with a strong Boston connection, Matt Ryan, who, thanks to his cool composure under pressure, has earned the nickname Matty Ice. Former star quarterback, by the way, of another team named for a bird, the Boston College Eagles. Executive producer of Talking Birds, Mark Duffield, associate producer Debbie Bleacher, our engineer Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. The bird show. I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. For Lean's Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com By Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com